1: to Sisterhood Night and we want to give a special welcome to all of the campuses that are joining us live stream right now. We want to welcome Faribault, Minnetrista, Shakopee, and Crosstown Campus. So can we all clap and welcome them? Thank you for being with us tonight. We can all be together. And we are thrilled to have Havela Cunnington here with us tonight. And she is someone that wears many hats. She is a wife, a mom, a pastor, a teacher, daughter, and friend, and she and her husband Ben were leaders at the Rock of Roseville Church for the past 15 years, and just recently they made a huge transition by moving to Reddington, California um, to be directors of the Moral Revolution, and they enjoy spending time with their four young sons, Judah, Hudson, Grayson and Beckham. How cute are those names? I'm sure the boys are just as cute. So will you please help me welcome Havela Cunnington?
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a long walk. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, hello! You guys, it is freezing here. What is happening? I'm from California. I mean, this is like, I, thank God I wore a shirt with sleeves. That's all I want to say. And I, I dug out my, uh, well, anyway, I've got some pants under this. But it is, um, it's such an honor to be with you. We are from Redding, California, and we go to a church called Bethel Church. If any of you ever heard of Bethel Church, you can wave at me. And if you haven't heard of Bethel, you definitely have sung our songs. And our songs go throughout the world. And I want you to know that I have absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, but we, but I do sing them. Uh, but it is such an honor. Thank you for having me. And I know that there are many of you that are, are around, not just in this room, but around the city watching this. And I just want to thank you for inviting me here. I flew out, took two flights to get here and I showered as quick as I could and I ran here. So that's kind of what my, my world has been like, but I'm not alone. I actually did leave my boys at home and I have a picture of my boys. And this is our family, I know, right? This is as good as we're ever going to look. You know that family photos are statements of faith and we just do it once a year and then we basically put them up in our homes and we look at each other and we go, if you could get your crap together, we could look like this. It's kind of what we do, crap is a Greek word for those of you that are offended. Um, and so my husband, if you'll throw that back up there, my husband has been, and we've been married for 13 years, and Ben is the, he videos and edits and does all of our stuff online. And uh, I waited till I was 27 to meet my husband. So it took a long time, but I like to say good meat takes time to marinate. And so if you're not married, he's probably marinating. Um, Judah's our eldest son. Judah is 12, 11 and a half years old, and he is that classic firstborn. If you are a firstborn, raise your hand at me. Firstborns never miss opportunity to be acknowledged. They're, right, And they're usually the ones that are taking, keeping track of the time, and they, they're ones that drove here. Those are usually my firstborns. And uh, Judah is uh, a classic firstborn. He's disappointed that he's not an only child. And um, he, one day he said to me, Mom, when are we going to get rid of them? I said, well, it's, we're kind of in this. It's going to be a while. And then uh, Hudson is our secondborn son. And Hudson has bright blue eyes, and he's really kind, and he makes a lot of friends. And last year, he brought home a note from a girl every single day. And so we spanked him every <laughs> single day for that. And then Grayson is our blondie, and he has he's very similar to me. He has blonde hair and a raspy voice, and we're both um, trying to quit smoking. But what I really love about him <laughs> is that he is... Um, he's a romantic at heart. In fact, last year I asked him what he wanted for Christmas and his only request of everything was a tuxedo. And so I went out and bought him a tuxedo and he wore that tuxedo to kindergarten every single day. And he is a romantic. So this is my favorite story. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to tell you a Grayson's story. Grayson said to me one day, he goes, mom, when am I going to be a grown up?" I said, well, you know, Grayson, it's going to be a while. You're six. This is going to take a while. And he said, well, Mom, when am I going to get married? I said, again, this is going to take a while. And I said, well, you know, you can marry me because he's cute, this little face. And he looks at me, gets really upset, and he goes, Mom, I don't want to marry you. I want a woman all to myself. (laughs) So he's in therapy, and then Beckham is... Beckham's our baby, and he's the cherry on the top, and he is he is like that five-year-old that got stuck in an eight-year-old body, and he's really mad about it. And so that's what he is. And so I left all of them home, and because I didn't have enough boys in my life or chaos, we got a 65-pound uh, golden doodle named Bear, which you saw on the video. And Bear, is uh, he's wonderful. We missed the window of training him. So that's a bummer. And um, so we bought a shot collar, and... Um, He's in training, and, you know, it's okay. I mean, when a fast car drives by, I might open the door. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying I don't. So if you brought your Bibles with you tonight, would you open up your Bibles on that note of animal cruelty? Would you open up your Bibles to the book of John? I wanted to take note that I do have these books with me tonight, Stronger Than the Struggle. I'm, I'm so excited about this book. And what you did here is that we do have an online free Bible study. It's actually a book study for you. And so if you buy the book, you can log right on to Truth to Table, like Farm to Fork. And we have a ministry called uh, Truth to Table. And um, we basically are doing this full time. We actually have uh, Truth to Table. We transitioned out of more evolution this fall. And we now lead Truth to Table. And there's about About 25,000 of you a month that tune in to us and hang out with us, and then we get to reach about 100,000 people a year. And I'm so excited by our reach, but most importantly, I love that we have about 119 nations that tune in and are active members, and I just love that thought. So that is there, and um, yeah, we launched it, and I was very excited about that on Amazon. So I feel like a big deal, but I'm not. Okay, so should we pray? All right, let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. So what I want to talk about a little bit, that's all you, you don't need more guys. The rest is for us. Tonight I want to unpack this topic of spiritual warfare, which we talked a little bit about in the video. But you know, I think the whole church, people of faith are very confused on this topic of spiritual warfare. I mean, I was a traveling minister's kid. My dad was on the road eight months out of the year. We were on the road six months out of the year with him. And we traveled everywhere from charismatic to very conservative churches to missions movements. And, and one thing I was really, really clear on is that one part of the church, they like never talk about the devil. Like never. Like if anybody acts weird or it's a spiritual sense... They're, they're, they're sure that they probably played with the Ouija board and that they, <laughs> something is happening and there's usually like someone anointed to take care of it. Like Sister So-and-So, she's like an intercessor and she's going to take them in the back. We don't know what happens. Probably some vomiting but something it happened back there and we pray that when they come back we don't catch it. I mean it's just kind of how people of faith act. And then there's a whole nother side of the body of Christ that's like everywhere, here devil, there devil everywhere devil, devil. Do you guys know? I'm like, you sneeze and they're like, be released. And you're like, I didn't know. Had, they're like, I know. I know it was free. Or, you know, like, I'm, I was late, and you're like, oh, was the, de- the, the devil, you know, the devil took my gas. I, I didn't know the devil was siphoning gas. I didn't know that's really what he was busy doing, but okay. And so there's this whole kind of chasm in the body of Christ where one is like, we never talk about it. It's scary. We don't want to even go there. And the other side of the body of Christ is like, here, devil, there, devil, let's raw raw the devil. And yet, when we have to go back to scripture because scripture is what the foundational part of our faith is. It's the narrative. It's the thing that keeps us grounded. It's the thing that protects us. And scripture says so clearly that we are not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes, but the Bible also says that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. And it also says that he's under our feet, but that we need to be on alert, that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So I mean, there's some clear words there, but what I really want us to get a hold of is I want to take you to a couple foundational verses when it comes to spiritual warfare, and my heart is to unpack it for you so that when you leave this place tonight, you'll be more equipped, more educated, and fully aware. You see, the problem often with the warfare that we experience is we are left with three specific questions. Is what I'm facing God Try and teach me a lesson. Because if it's God, I don't want to interrupt it. I want to just surrender to it and lean into it. Or is it the devil who's fighting against me? And that's what it is. I'm sure it's the devil and the devil's in my spouse, but I'm sure something's <laughs> happening. Or is it, is it just myself reaping what I sow? And see, it's so pivotal that we know where the battle is coming from because we can't actually have a good game plan to fight what we're actually coming against. So we don't know where it's coming from. We don't want to fight God, but we definitely don't want to partner with the devil. And we also don't want to step in, in like, and go, hey, it was on me. I'm sorry, this one's on me. And so what I really want to do is show you how we can defi- dis- like really define where the enemy hangs out and what he's like. So John 10, 10 is the foundational verse when it comes to spiritual warfare. It's critical. It says this, and many of you know this verse. It says, the thief comes only to steal... And kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have what? Life and have it abundantly. Now I love what T.D. Jake says. He says, you must understand your enemy for you cannot defeat what you do not understand. You must understand your enemy for you cannot defeat what you do not understand. And if you're looking at this verse, John 10, 10, it says the thief. And if you go a little deeper into the Greek, you'll find out that that word thief is the word klepto. It's where we get the word klepto. Yeah. So it actually means if you go deep into it, that our enemy, the enemy of our soul loves to take from us. He's on a mission to rob us. You get a little bit of peace tonight get a little bit of joy tonight. You get a little bit of confidence in your walk with Christ and the enemy is going after it. He doesn't want you to have any of that. He is so focused on hurting you and taking things from you so that you would never be the child of God that you're called to be. And what we need to be aware of as women is we need to realize that the enemy is coming to take from us, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we have or possess. If we have a little bit of it, if we have a little bit of our identity in Christ or a little bit of confidence in him, we are dangerous because we now have the host of heaven backing us up. And the enemy knows that, and he goes after us. And so what we need to understand is that there is a real war. And I'm going to give you like a a three-minute theological understanding of this because we get really confused on this. Okay, so it's God and the devil, and they're at war. No, 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 no. It's not two gods warring at each other. There's one God, and there's an angel with a God complex, and this angel was up in heaven. He lived in heaven and he worshiped God and he was up all around. And then one moment the enemy saw what, Jesus, what, what God was doing. Jesus wasn't there Yeah, he was on the earth. But he saw what was happening and he said, I would like some of that glory. And God didn't say no because he was being mean. He said no because he knew that any created thing that wanted glory or received glory, it would destroy them. We're not meant to contain glory. How many of you have seen a few actors have a little bit of people worship and what it's done to their souls? Come on. How many of you have seen a little bit of successful people that get a little bit of praise from the earth and it's not good for us? We're not meant to contain people's praise. We're meant to accept and receive and give it back to God because he's the one that authors everything that we have. Amen. And so what happens often is that in uh, what we get confused on is okay. So what's the battle? Well, there's a war that broke out in the heavens, and a third of the angels went to the earth with with the with the devil, and that's now they're called demons. And so the enemy's on the earth. He thinks the earth is his, and the and there's demons on the earth. Whether you like it or not, that's there's a reality to that. But this is critical when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. He how he now has lost all power over us. We are the most powerful people walking the earth. There is no fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. But listen, what we do have to be aware of is that the Bible says there is a all out war for the souls of men, which means as long as you're on the earth, the enemy thinks I can still take you with me to eternal damnation. I can take you with me to hell. And so there's a war that happens. If we know where we're going, we have confidence. If we don't know where we're going, then we live in a lot of anxiety and fear. And so what we find out is the enemy loves to steal from us, but then that second word in John 10.10 is the word kill. And that word is critical to understanding how our enemy operates. That word kill means sacrifice. It means sacrifice. So what does that mean, Havilah? Like... Okay, the enemy's coming to take from me, I get that. But what does the sacrifice connect to? This is what it means. And just listen, because this is the key point. What the enemy cannot take from you, he will convince you to give away. What the enemy hasn't taken from you, he will so diminish its value that you'll finally... Walk right out of your calling, walk right out of your purpose, walk right out of your marriage, walk right out of your place of service. You walk right out of these environments and you'll go, why? Because the enemy spent so much energy diminishing what's really on your life. And I understand that. I get that because I was a 17 year old girl who was a church kid. And I wanted to fit in everywhere. I wanted to fit in at church, and I wanted to fit in at school. But I also had a deep-rooted fear and anxiety, and a, a part of me that I loathed, and that was the fact that I was not like my family. See, my Italian grandfather was an immigrant who came over on the boat and from Italy to Staten Island, a Sicilian, full of Sicilian. And uh, he lived in a one-bedroom apartment with his five siblings. And ended up going through law school and becoming a Supreme Court Justice of New York State for four terms. My grandfather, I go, in, I can go into any of my aunt and uncle's homes, and there's pictures of him with the Pope. There's pictures of him with John F. Kennedy. I mean, just lots of high-powered people. But the, there was a real radical thing that happened in my dad's family, and that was that they came to know Christ. They, my dad became a walking hippie, and you know, just was not into it. Rebelled from a congressman as a congressman's son. But when he came to know Christ, in fact, he led his entire family to Christ on one Thanksgiving dinner. He prayed for an hour and led them all to Christ, his four other siblings and their spouses. But what I found is that even in ministry, they were successful. I mean, they built movements that are still on the face of the earth today. In fact, the songs that we sing when you see CCLI, that's my uncle who began CCLI, which is every song we sing has a little number under it. And that's the legal way for us churches to be able to sing these songs. So everywhere that I look, I have success. But the deep part of fear is that I had learning disabilities. I had massive learning issues. I could not read out loud when I was in high school. I was you could not have read my handwriting in high school, which was a problem. I was not going to medical school. And I I really felt like I wanted to hide. I was terrified that somebody would find out that me coming from a very high-achieving family, I was the girl that could barely get through school or didn't know what was happening really. I was scared that somebody would find out that I didn't know what I was doing. I was a fraud. And I'm 17, and some guys pick my sister and I up to go to a party one night. We get in the backs of this car, and it's, the music is playing. And I, <laughs> I, all of a sudden, I feel the presence of God in the car. And I begin to hear God speak to me about my life. And he started to say, Havilah, what are you doing? You can't live like this. I've put my purpose on you. I've got a call on your life. And I didn't know what to do because this was a really bad timing for God to be speaking to me about my purpose in the backseat of a car. And so I didn't know what to say. So I shouted out over the music, can you turn the music down? And when I shout it out, the guy in the front turns the music down. It's dead silent in the car. And I say this, because I have not rehearsed this. I didn't even know what I was going to say. So I was kind of compelled. I say this, I have a call of God on my life. And it's so awkward. I mean, there's no piano player. There's no pastors. There's no raise your hand. We'll get you a commitment packet. I mean, nothing, just awkward. But as I say it, I believe that something happens in the spirit when we begin to say, go public with our walk. And we go public with who we are. And we say, I'm going to be who God called me to be, whether it's going to cost me what you guys think or not. I'm doing this. And when I did that, I began to cry, which is a miracle. Because I'm not a crier. I'm more like I'm more like an angry person. Is anybody else like that? Like, if I it goes from anger to crying, and if you make me cry, then you might as well just leave the room because I'm one of those. Like, is anybody else like that? You know who you are. How many of you are married to someone like that? If they cry, you just start repenting. You just tear your clothes, put sackcloth on, ashes, whatever I need to do. You win. Okay. So I look over at my, I have an identical twin sister. So we are mere twins. 10% of identical twins are mere twins. So I'm left-handed, she's right-handed. We look exactly the same. I mean, our hair's the same. Our, our, everything is the same. Our, husband, you know, our husbands get us mixed up, we'll talk about that. But um, <laughs> And so, in fact, we were married six months apart from each other. And our first babies are nine days apart. And our second babies are three three weeks apart. And our third babies are three months apart. And they all have the same dad. No, they don't. I'm kidding. That's so inappropriate. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's ladies night. I think you guys can handle some inappropriate stuff. Okay, so. No, her husband is a six foot three British guy. He has hugged me before. And I'm like, listen, you better back up. I get pregnant like that. Like you just need to back way up. My husband and I have stopped kissing. We've stopped hugging. We don't go in jacuzzis. Like I don't want to be pregnant again. (sighs) So I look over at my sister and she's weeping. So I'm like, okay, God's doing something. I don't know what he's doing. And I am so kind of embarrassed and overwhelmed for these guys. I say, listen, I'm going to serve God. You're welcome to come with me if you like, but this is what I'm going to do. And they didn't say anything. And when I looked out the window, I realized that they had taken me home. They took us without asking. We just look out, okay, this is our exit. I'm sure they're like, we could go get those other girls if we hurry up. (laughs) So we get out of the car, and we walk into a dark house. My parents are asleep, and we kneel down by the bed. And I will never forget saying this out loud. God, I'm not much. I'm young. I'm a girl. And I have no special gifts or graces. In fact, I kind of feel like what I have is a liability. (laughs) But if you can use anyone, you can use me. I'm available. And I didn't see any kind of amazing prophetic moment. You know, sometimes you say prayers and we're like, God, God, just give me one angel that would like solidify this story. (laughs) Like it would mean it's really real. And you know, sometimes we don't get that. It's just, it's just go to bed, turn the lights out and go to bed, cry our eyes out and go to bed. But one thing I really learned that night was if you say it with your heart, and you stay with your mouth and you believe it in your heart. It's as good as done. And God begins to move heaven on your behalf. And if you really want God to use your life, he will use your life just as you hope. It may take a little bit of time. I'm celebrating 20 years of ministry this year. It may take some time, but I'm telling you, God will be faithful to you. He can't help himself. And so what's really important is that when we find the enemy comes, what I found in my own life is the enemy wasn't, he wasn't taking from me. I was giving it away because I didn't see any value. I didn't really think I could do anything for God. I didn't really think. And what I found is that there are so many of us in this room tonight, in the rooms that are watching, that just, we don't walk in our spiritual confidence. We want people to fight our battles for us. We want people to pray it off of us. We want people to preach preach it out of us because we lack a spiritual confidence to know that we are who he says we are. We can do what he said we could do and that we are called to fight the enemy on our own. We're not just flowery girls that want to be entertained. We're actually women that are at war, that are warriors, that are going into real situations with real chaos and real, real things. Come on. I don't need to be just entertained. I got laundry to do. Can I get an Amen. I'm just being honest. I want a real God that's alive and active that actually awakens something in me that I know that what I'm facing, I'm empowered to face and I don't have to run somewhere or pray that someone picks up their phone or pray that somebody gives me prophetic words so I can be free for a moment. No, no, no. I want to know that the the Spirit of God is living on the inside of me and He's going to empower me to come against anything that I face every single day, whether it's a big deal to anybody else what I face. And I find that God wants to keep up us free. He wants to help us be free. If you want, uh, I'm going to look at the, the book of Ephesians. Don't turn there because I'm just going to reference it. But a book of Ephesians chapter 16, Paul begins to give the church instructions and strategy on how to fight the enemy. See, I don't want to just talk to you about warfare. I want to give you some ways to fight. I want to show you how to do this. And so Paul does the exact same thing in the in the scripture. He gathers the, the church and he says, listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to need a whole armor and you're going to take uh, the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. And then he says this in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of God. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard that the sword of the spirit is the word of God? Well, you know, when you look in the Greek, you'll find that it doesn't actually mean the Bible. <gasps> like our theology's been off. It doesn't actually mean that. It, it, that's not the word he uses. There's two actual definitions that Paul can use when it comes to the word of God. And the first definition he uses is the word logos. Everybody say logos. Logos. So logos means the entire written word of God. If I said, where's your logos? You could pull up your Bible and go, here's my logos. Okay. But he doesn't use that. He says, take up the sword of the spirit and he uses the word Rama, And Rama means a quickened and specific word from the Spirit. A quickened and specific word from the Spirit. Now, why is this critical that we understand what this means? Because of this. When he's teaching this culture, historically, these men would have known what a soldier looked like. They would have seen soldiers all around. In fact, they were in their culture. They would have seen them walking down the street. They would have seen them in the Starbucks line. They would have seen these soldiers all around. And what they would have known is that soldiers carried um, swords twice the size that they used in battle of weight. And they would carry that sword for endurance and strength. And they would actually practice war twice a day. They would practice with strength and, and building endurance. But when it came to battle, how many of you guys have ever seen these movies where it's like Gladiator, like large swords and swinging and how many of you guys have ever seen Gladiator? Don't admit that. Put your put your hands down. You're in church. Don't don't just come on. <laughs> but actually the sword, theologians tell us, is was about the size of a dagger. So when it came to battle, listen, listen, when it came to battle, they were taught never to cut and slash, because it will wear your energy out. But theologians will tell you that they did a study and they found that the, 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 the warriors only actually had to put the sword in two inches to kill their opponent. In fact, they were taught, listen, to use as little effort as possible to reserve their energy for the rest of the battle. And see, what we do as believers often is we don't know what we're fighting. And so we're just like, I'll just, we call it hunt and peck, right? Which is, oh God, give me a word. Okay, yeah, that's not it. I'll give you two out of three. Two out of three. Okay, let's try this again. You know who you are and you know it's true. I've done it myself, so there's no shame. but. What it is, is that we often don't have the, the, the rainbow word, the quickened and specific word of the spirit. So we just go, okay, I'm just trying to fight everything and I'm gonna pray this way, I'm gonna sing this way and I'm gonna hope he preaches this out of me. But what we don't have is an ability to shut him up and go, oh, come here, let me just tell you a rainbow word from the spirit. And we find this to be so biblical because in Luke chapter four, Jesus goes into the desert and he hasn't done any ministry yet, but he's been fasting for 40 days without, without food. And he's hungry. How many of you have ever gone without food for 40 days on liquid only? I mean, it is a big deal. How many of you, a week, just a week of juice fasting. How many of you skip dinner and you can barely concentrate right now that you're having a hard time? Okay. <laughs> so Jesus goes into the desert. He sees these rocks and the enemy comes to him and he says, listen, turn those rocks into bread. And Jesus does something really critical. He doesn't look at them and say, well, I'm sorry, do you know what happened to me in Luke chapter three? Let me tell you, see, in Luke chapter three, 40 days ago, I entered into the desert and when I walked from the land, I saw my cousin and my cousin said, it's time, or you're gonna be baptized. And I walked in the water and all of a sudden, I get in the water and the heavens open and my father shouts out over the over the skies, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descends as a dove and lands on me. How many of you are thinking it's uncanny? That's like my baptism. It's so weird. No, okay. (laughs) He does not fight the enemy by telling him how loved he is or his last prophetic moment or encounter. He gives the word to the enemy and he looks at the enemy and he says, It is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that precedes the mouth of God. He shuts him up by bringing the word. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus could have squashed him like an ant. The enemy is not in a battle. I don't know. Is Jesus going to be okay? I don't know. He's going to be fine. He's about to go to hell and back to get the keys of death. And every the enemy's, like eternity is set. But, but listen, the reason Jesus does that is not because he doesn't have the power to do something different. The reason Jesus does that is because he wants to give you women strategy in 2018. As you live every single day in your world, he's giving you a strategy and an ability to say, if you do this, you'll be empowered too. And so everything Jesus does in the word is he gives us an outline of what we can actually do in real time, in real life, every single day. And so what he does is he says, no, no. And every time the enemy comes, the second time the enemy comes, he quotes scripture to him. This is critical, specifically if you were raised in a religious environment, specifically if you've been around some very religious people, because the enemy comes to Jesus and he quotes scripture to Jesus to get him to do something. And Jesus quotes a different scripture. Now, why is it a warring of scriptures? Because one of them was just words and one of them was anointed for the hour. And many of you, I love you, but you are quoting your favorite Bible verse for the last 15 years and you act like it's your rhema word. It is not your rhema word. I know you just got it at Hobby Lobby and it's a beautiful picture. (laughs) I get it. It's cute. But that's not your rhema word. You've been quoting that scripture for 15, 30, 30 flipping years you've been saying. This is what God said. No, it's cute. You know it. It's the only verse you know. And there's no shame in that. But what I am saying is we're going to have to be a little bit more empowered to actually know the word, to actually use it against the enemy. And here's what I want to explain it to you. And I'll show you how it worked in my own life. So when I was 17, I began began to turn my life over to Christ. And by 18, I began to minister. And they let us minister to youth groups because I think they just thought, they would basically let us practice on the youth. I think that was kind of what they were like, well, you can't hurt the youth, so go send them in there. And so, so my sister and I would, um, we would go and clean houses six, five days a week. We'd clean these huge mansion homes in Granite Bay. And then we'd hop into our little convertible cabrio and we would drive up and down the California coast and preach and prophesy and minister to different churches all around the, the coast. And so we'd pay for our gas to go do that on the weekends. And so here we are, 17. And so we go to our first ministry trip out, out of the state, and it's to Utah. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but God shows up, and it was a, just a profound night. We were there till three in the morning ministering over these youth. So we're on our way to Arizona the next month to do the exact same thing speak the message, pray, minister prophetically, do what we feel like we're supposed to do. And in the middle of the message, as we're speaking to the youth in Arizona, the pastor kind of takes over the altar call and kind of does a different kind of direction. And we, we didn't know. Again, we weren't, you know, the funny part about ministry is there isn't a lot of training in ministry. You just kind of go, it's so opposite of what you think in the real world. Like it's only, only in ministry are tears good. Like literally it's like, oh, they're crying. Good. You're like, is that good? I guess it is good. Like, it's so funny how it's so weird. But anyway, enough about that. So I end up, we, he takes the meeting. He he basically uh, leads it, closes it out, and we go to dinner that night. And I said to him, so what did you think of the ministry tonight? I just, was, I just wanted to know. I'm, I'm like 18, want to know what he thought, what I thought. And he said, well, do you really want to know? If somebody says, do you really want to know, I'm just going to give you some leadership advice. Just say, no, I think God will tell me. And just run. <laughs> just run as fast as you can. And just, yeah. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know. And he said, well, I don't believe in anything you did tonight. I don't believe in the message you brought. I don't believe in women ministering. I didn't invite you. Somebody else invited you guys. But if I had known what you were going to bring, I probably would have never had you. And if you ever had someone say something to you where it feels like they punch you in the gut and you you have no air, you can't actually respond because you just have nothing. You don't have anything to say. And I'll, I remember not knowing what to say, but just realizing that the dinner was <laughs> over. And um, we ran to our parents' hotel room. They were ministering at another church in the city. And we wake them up, and I tell him, and I'm just sobbing. And he said this, and he would never have had me. And, and I can't believe we would do this. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of in that mode. And my dad looks at me, and he says something that has forever marked my life. He said, well, have a let. I guess you get to decide if man called you or God called you. And I love those words. I mean, I love those words. But I'd be lying to you if those were the words that hung out with me years later. But it wasn't. Every time I would get up to minister, I would hear that man's voice Go ahead. They don't believe in anything you're gonna do. See those people walk out? That's because they don't believe in women. Do that, that, that whatever. He would just, they don't believe it. Go ahead. They don't believe in anything you're about to bring, but go ahead. And I would try to pray my way through it. Okay, God, I just believe in you. I love you. I'm gonna, you're the one that called me. And I would kind of go into this anxious, praise moment, you know? Or sometimes I would be like, okay, you know, somebody prophesy me out of this anxiety and. Every time I would go to minister, I wouldn't change my yes, but I would feel this anxiety. Have you ever had that where I would feel this battle? And then I would tell God, I don't want to minister because I'm going to have to go through this battle of anxiety, of worthiness, and I don't want to do the battle of worthiness. I just want to sit in the back. I want to marry, you know, I want to just get married and, and call it a day. I don't want to do this. And the Lord just let me kind of spiral a little until he took me one day to the word. And I'm in the book of Timothy, and I begin to read the words that say, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And when I read read those words, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was putting a weapon in my hands. And he was like, "You want something to fight the enemy here? I'll show you what Paul said to Timothy as a young man, and I'm going to say the same thing over your life." And the next time I got up to minister, I was fighting. It. I could feel the anxiety, and I, am I worthy? And am I, you know, my I, I don't have the education, and I'm not this cute, and I, all these different things. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, "Are you going to use your weapon?" And I went, "Okay." I said, "You know what, enemy? I'm not going to let anyone look down on me because I am young, but I am going to set an example. And if you hang out here, you're going to be the example." Now, that sounds really sexy, but what I really want to say is it was like something broke off of me that day. I mean, it was like all the torment. It doesn't mean I didn't remember like, wait, there was a pastor that said something. I can't believe it. Like he, it was like a brainwashing, but it was a sense of like all the power was released. Everything that had been holding me down and all the tormenting thoughts and all the trying to get out and pray, all of a sudden it was broken and I was free. And i you could, could never use that lie against me again without me shutting him up as quick as I could with the truth that I had. And what I believe as women is that God wants to give you a word over your marriage, over your parenting, over your finances, over your careers, over your homes, over the places in your life where you feel defeated and overwhelmed and go in anxious spirals. And I believe the enemy has been working overtime to cloud your judgment, to cause you to feel anxious and worried and overwhelmed and, and have you run here and there and buy this and that and try to get another vacation and try to run away. And what God wants to do is say, sweet heart will you stop running will you stop running will you stop believing that if you could just get a little more in the bank and get a little more opportunity and marry just the right guy and do all the things that you think will make you successful you'll feel more at peace when the prince of peace already lives on the inside of you that's trying to actually release peace to you come on And some of you, I love you, but God is not going to allow a leader to preach it out of you or prophesy it out of you or pray it off of you, because what he really wants you to do is rise up and be the woman that you're called to be and take authority over your life, your mind, will, and emotions. Take authority over your past, present, and give God your future and begin to say, I'm going to rise up. My mom didn't do it. My grandmother didn't do it. My family's never done it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my legacy, and I'm not going to be the anxious person. I'm not going to be the over well person. I'm not going to be the person that's always dealt with it. No, no, I'm, that's not me anymore. I'm breaking ties with the lies of the enemy and I'm going to stand up. And God has given me a rhema word for every season. He's given me a rhema word for my different seasons of my marriage. He's given me rhema word for different moments in ministry. Some of my greatest heartbreaks has been in moments when God goes, come here, come here, come here, come here, sweetheart, come here. Just take this. Would you, would you use this? Kill him. Kill him right now. Get him. I'm like, I'm Italian. I understand you. Take him out. And sometimes you got to stop figuring out the war and just start dealing with it. You go, well, I just need to figure out. No, no. They did it because the enemy hates your guts. The reason they're bullying you is because the enemy hates you and what's on your life and the future you have in God. And he will do anything he can to take from you, to steal from you like a pickpocket. It says like an embezzler. He will slowly take until you finally give the farm away, or, 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 he'll convince you that what you have is dim- so diminished. It's a joke. You're too old. You're too broke. You've already been married and divorced. You're too tired. You're too sick. And he just goes, give it away, give it away, let somebody else. And I believe that comparison is the enemy's way of saying that God cheated you. And God did not cheat you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love that you will never, ever go away. You are valuable to God whether you do anything today or anything tomorrow. You are just as valuable. You are sitting as a child of God. You are valuable because His blood runs through your blood and His DNA is part of your DNA. And you are anointed for the hour because you are born in this generation. And so what I believe tonight is I want to give us an opportunity for a minute to respond to this word. Now I flew across the country and I didn't come here to play church. I flew across the country because I believe that you are going to get so set free and so radically encounter the presence of God in a way that you go, oh, okay, God, you solidified this. Let's go into 2018 with some fire in my bones and the word of God in my hand, and let's fight the enemy and keep him under our feet. Because why? We need to get on to the second part of the verse. Stop fighting and get on with living, living the abundant life that Christ called us to live. Amen? Amen. Will you just close your eyes for just a minute? the only reason we close our eyes is just to kind of cut out distraction. I just want to take a minute for you to respond. These are critical moments. These are critical moments. We go, "It's, it's a Friday night. Is it really, it's one night. But the part of you that doesn't want to engage is the part of you that the enemy wants to distract you and hurt you because the enemy knows what's about to happen in your own life. And so what I want to say over you is some of you, you've never had your backseat moment. You've never gone public. I mean, you just, you come because someone brought you, you've, your family's always been in church. This is just what you, you just came to do, but you just have never gone public. You've never said, "I'm, I've got a call on my life. I'm going to serve God. You can come with me to your husband, to your kids, to your family, to your friends, but I'm going to serve God. And you've never gone public. And tonight, you want to go public and say, I want to serve God. I don't want to, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers, but I I know that I'm tired of running my life. I'm tired of being the Lord in my life. I need a savior. I need a God to help me do what's in front of me to do. If that's you, I want you just to wave at me right now. Just wave your hand at me and say, that's me. Good. Lots of hands. I love that. Anybody else? Very good. Lots of hands. Some of you would say, you know, Havilah, I have, but honestly, I've taken the controls back. Like I'm, I'm leading my life and I I look really spiritual in these environments and I want God. But if you looked at my Facebook feed or you looked at my phone messages or you looked at how I feel about life or what I think about things, I, I'm trying to run the show and I don't want to run it anymore. I need, I need to get my fight back. I need to get, I need to re-engage. If that's you, I want you just to wave at me and say, that's me, Havala. I need to re-engage. Good. Lots of hands. Lots of hands. Now I'm going to ask you to be really Courageous. As the band begins to play this song, if you raised your hand for one of those two, I'm gonna ask you to stand. You go, why? Because there's something about going public that matters in a place like this. And you go, I could do it at home. You absolutely could do it at home. But there's something really powerful and profound when we say, I'm making making a stand. And I, I I want you to know something. Don't give a flip of what anybody thinks next to you. It's none of their business. This is about your heart, your mind, your soul, and your eternity. And this is about you knowing in confidence that you have a future. If that's you, just stand right now. If there's any of you that stood, raise your hand for any of them, just stand. Yep. Just be courageous. Don't hesitate. Don't stop. Don't hesitate. Don't stop. Just stand right now. Don't hesitate. This is your moment for total breakthrough. This is your moment for clarity. This is your moment to tell the enemy what's up. This is what's up, enemy. You don't have me anymore. This is what's up. This is what's up. You don't have me anymore. You don't get to play with me and talk to me like this and show, show this to me anymore. No, no, I'm gonna be free. I'm gonna be free tonight. I'm gonna be free tonight. I'm signing up again tonight. Just stand right now. You might not have stood, but you know you should. Your heart's beating. I'm not pressuring you. I just want to give you a moment. If that's you, your heart, you're going, if you're in a battle, just stand. Just stand, because God's gonna touch these ones that are standing. Yeah, I love it. I love it, don't be afraid. Say no to fear and yes to love right now. Say no to fear and yes to love. So here's what we're gonna do. Those of you that are standing right now, if you have a woman that's standing next to you, ladies, will you just stand next to them and put your hand on their shoulder? We're gonna pray for these ones right now. Just stand up around them. Doesn't have to be, you go, I don't know how to pray. Don't worry, you don't have to pray, just put your hand on them. Tell them they're not alone in this moment. Look around, there's women standing that don't have anybody putting their arm on them and we're gonna we're gonna invite them into this moment, okay? So Lord Jesus, I pray right now for these women. I want you to say this out loud, like you really believe this. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I'm tired of being in charge. I'm tired of running the show. I want you to be Lord and savior of my life. Enemy, I will not serve you. I will not allow you to take anything more from me. I will not allow you to diminish what's on my life. I'm going to serve God. I'm going public again. I'm going public right now. Holy Spirit, touch them right now. Now let's ask God to touch their hearts right now. Holy Spirit, touch them. Break in right now. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, I ask right now the women that have stood, Lord, they've they've, they've said God yes to you and I pray right now you would radically encounter them with the love of God right now. They don't need to ask anything more. They can respond. They can respond right now. Let's sing this together.